Thank you all for coming. It's really, really lovely to see so many people turn out for a really quite different style of salon to perhaps what we've had before for anyone who's been coming regularly. So it's our first salon where we're actually going to uh, look at a poet in translation and, um, and to explore translation and the process of translating a bit. So that's something really exciting. I'm really thrilled to do something uh, different. And I'm really delighted that Jean Bose-Bayer has come to speak to us. We're really so lucky that she's moved to our area it just about. So Jean's come from Shrewsbury today. And her academic work includes a, a critical introduction to translation studies and translating the poetry of the Holocaust in 2015. And it's exciting to hear that um, together with co-editor Marion de Vogt, She's currently collecting less well-known Holocaust poetry for a new anthology, which will appear in 2019. So I think that's really exciting uh, that that's happening. So um, please join me to welcome Jean Beauzebier, please. Thank you very much, uh, Chloe. Um, yeah, I mean, I thought what I would do is just say... Um, well, I don't really need to say anything about how I came to be translating this poet, perhaps, because you've already heard probably enough about me personally. Um, and um, But I'll, what I thought I would do then is read some of his poems to you and give you a little bit of background as I do so, so that you kind of build up a picture um, of the poet in that way, because I shouldn't think anybody's heard of him. Has anybody heard of him? No. Um, no, I, I've, I don't think I've ever come across anybody who's actually um, heard of him uh, outside of Germany, and even there, not that many. He's not that well known, although although he's, uh, you know, I mean, he was well known at one time, but I think he's kind of not um, that well known now. Um, so I'm going to do that, and then I thought perhaps that after that we could look at his actual poem, and we could talk about what the issues are of translating it, just to give you some kind of insight into. Um, into how it how it works. I mean, I know some of you know how to tran how po translating poetry works because I've already known from at least one person who translates poetry. Um, but I, I just thought that might be interesting. So I've got a handout. Um, this has got the poem on which we'll look at in a minute. Apart from that, it's got a picture of Fontana, so you can see what he looks like, and it's got a picture of his birthplace. Can you just check that? <coughs> Unnecessary notes. No, it's fine. They're just the handouts. <laughs> you never know. You kind of give people yeah. notes as well. Um, so you don't really need that handout, at least not for the moment. Um, so that's one Turner. You, you see what he looks like. Has everybody got a copy, actually? Yeah? Mm -hmm. 15. Here, I... Mm. <coughs> well, as I say, you, you, it's not essential, uh, but when we come to talk about the actual poem, it would be helpful to have it. Um, you, you don't actually need to look at it at the moment. Um, so I'm going to now say something about the poet and read some of his poems and give a bit of context as I do it. So um, he was born in 1934, Volker von Turner. This is the poet that I'm talking about. Um, he was born in 1934 in Kredlinburg, and Kredlinburg is the place on the, you know, you've just got a little picture of it. Um, you can always Google it or something if you're interested in finding out more about it. It was... Um, at uh, one point in, the, in East Germany. Of course, it's now just part of Germany. Um, he, um, as he grew older, he learned that his father had been a Nazi, had been in the SS. And this was um, something that he found it very hard to come to terms with. So he spent practically his whole life uh, trying to come to terms with the fact that his father had been a Nazi, uh, his father was killed during the war, <coughs> so he didn't perhaps know him very well, but it, trying to come to terms with the fact that his father had actually been in the SS was very difficult for him. He felt terribly guilty, and in a sense, all his poems are about guilt or different ways of dealing with guilt. And as I'll say in a minute, I'm going to read a poem about him first, but you will see in the other poems that he tried not just to feel guilty, but... Um, to do something about it. But I'm going to start with a poem which, is, uh, which has the title 
thoughts in May. Some of these poems I'll read in German later, but I'll just read this one simply in English, because obviously if I read each poem in German and English, it's going to take up a lot of time. So, um, so this poem is Thoughts in May, and it's, it's just kind of um, his story. Thoughts in May. I speak of myself, Volker von Turner, born in the 34th year of the 20th century, while my comrades were fighting the murderers, who brought me up as their own in their image. And I drank the milk denied to the starving, and I wore the clothes stolen from my brother. And I read the books justifying the theft, and I listened to speeches inciting to murder. And I called that slaughterhouse my fatherland, while the nations took up arms against my nation. And I prayed for the murderers, for their final victory, while the cities went up in flames. And mine was the guilt for the loss of every life, breathing in innocence under the gallows branches of the sweet-smelling limes. Yeah, so he felt guilty. So this guilt drove him um, his whole life, and it, it drove him in, in two directions, in a way, although they were connected. One was to write poems and to try to express how he felt. Um, and to make other people see how he felt and how he thought everybody should feel. Um, but besides writing poetry, he, he tried to make reparation um, for what had happened. Um, of course, it's difficult. Many, many people had been killed, as, as everybody knows. Um, but he became a, a, a member very early on of a group that was called in German uh, Aktion Sühnezeichen, Friedensdienste. It's, it does exist in English, and it's called Action Reconciliation Services for Peace. There is a branch, used to be a branch in Leicester. Um, there, I think there is only a branch in London now, but there were branches all over Europe, as I say, including England. And this was started um, in the, um, shortly after the war. And the idea of this group was to try and send people out to educate people about the dangers of fascism and also to try and rebuild. So, for example, if bridges had been burnt down, they, they rebuilt them and they built educational centres and, and all this sort of thing in very many countries, in Holland, in Germany, in England, not so much. Um, they also went to Israel and, and tried to uh, set up educational centres there. So it's a, it's a very important group, and I say it still exists today. Um, so... You know, he wrote the poetry on the one hand. On the other hand, he worked for this organisation and tried to put things right as much as he could. But one of the, one of the things that, that marked him out was a sort of rootlessness. He travelled around all the time. He never really felt at home. Um, and he refused to be seen as a, a sort of Christ figure um, because he always felt this was a danger, that he would be seen as a good person because he was going around and trying to put things right. And he felt this didn't come out of any goodness and nobody German should feel that it did. They should feel that it comes out of trying to put right what you've done wrong which is an entirely different thing. So the next poem uh, that I'm going to read expresses that feeling of a, a sort of a, a refusal to um, to see oneself in some way as a, as a kind of a, a good person. Um, it's called, the poem is entitled On Paths of Ashes. On paths of ashes, above the church tower, the summer once seemed an angry angel with flaming sword. In the branches, a jay screamed. The cows in their stalls bellowed out, and the bread in the oven was burned. The, pe the pear tree blossomed white. The sun broke through a fiery wind from the clouds. Then I followed the smoke signals, travelling far across country, by rivers, through flooding grass, I felt the rush of the sky through my lungs. Behind me the gardens sank down into dusk. The forests perished in smoke and fire, and I forgot to count the crows on the roadside. There was no voice calling me over the waters. There was no dove descending to rest upon me. The night crowned my forehead with wings of bats, and I moved with a tongue that was turned to stone. Beneath the unspeaking moon, alone on paths of ashes, buried in the wind. Whatever I say, words like wolves' teeth, more cutting than knives, whatever I say, open your lips, for I have to drink from your bitter waters 
until you close over me, flesh inseparable, I dig myself into earth, where briefly I send down my roots. Um, part of what drove him, I've, I've spoken about his guilt and his his need to to try and um, to, to try and make reparation of some sort. Sort. Part of what drove, drove, drove him was a sense of melancholy and a sense that um, so much had been destroyed. And you know, whenever he thought of his childhood, he thought about what what might have been happening at the time he was a child. You know, 1934, right? So after the Nazis came to power, um, before the war, he he couldn't really help thinking back to his childhood without thinking what was going on at that time that I didn't know about, uh, and, and kind of revisiting things. Um, so he was only five when the war broke out, and he was 11 when it ended, so his whole childhood was, was overshadowed by the war, but of course he didn't realise this until until after the end of the war, when he was old enough to understand it. So, to some extent, it was a, the, the war was also something that destroyed memories for many people in his, in his position. It, it, you couldn't just kind of think about your childhood in a, in a pleasant um, way. Um, and a lot of his poems uh, have to to express this this idea that there is a sense of evil or a sense of, you know, what might have happened um, and a sense of land that's been destroyed. The next one's called Smoke. This land was alive once. Green carts made their way through the village. In the first light, horses snorted by the river. Which way have the music makers gone and the tinkers? On what bank are their horses grazing now? Beneath what moon their violins singing, no one has seen them. Without a trace, smoke in the clouds, they have gone away. Because it wasn't only the Jews who were killed in the Holocaust, it was, of course, also people who were Roma, or who were just travellers for some other reason, or people who were elderly, people who were ill. All these people were, were got rid of. Um, so, you know, there's a sense that the, that the land has changed because the people are no longer there. Um, another poem is, it's called Elegy, and a lot of his poems are kind of elegies um, for a time which, you know, he felt he, ha he had had as a child, but then realised it wasn't really like that at all. Elegy. Villagers, wind-bent in rain, Meadows in willow light, the gentle beauty of girls in the evening, a lilac tree over the fence, sweet-smelling snow. This land, wiped out from every atlas, scorched earth, ashes pierced by roots, words thrown like stones into rising waters. The days are growing shorter, and the light colder. In my hands, nothing but grief. In my eyes, I gather up the fragments of the sky. Um, a lot of his poems are about an area which um, is now in the northeast of Poland, and um, it's an area that he was particularly fond of, and um, he often writes about it and about what happened there, and, and he doesn't write specifically about what happened there. Many people were killed in these areas. Um, he simply writes about it and how it, how he can't get those memories back because he now knows, once he's grown up, he knows what actually did happen there. Summer in the Missourian Lakes. Smoke above the house, speck frying in the pan, milk on the table, warm from the cow, sun behind black clouds, flying above the forest in the wind, eagles in the light, the cuckoo heralding whole years of peace. Here I want to stay, sheltered by wood, the road far away, across the water forest shadows slowly move. Among the raspberry bushes children sing, thatched roof in older light, the tree at the well outlined by sky, the evening filled with scents of hay and elder. Our boat drifts to the bank. Stay, summer, I shout, hand that holds me. There's another poem in which he remembers or thinks very concretely about 
what might have happened in the area that he knew. By the wayside. Once long ago, we walked through these fields, my mother holding my hand. In a ditch, by the wayside, a farmhand crouched, his tongue in mud and water. Above him, the farmer raising his whip. On your feet, Pollack. Clouds floated white. The thorn by the wayside flowered red. Because we don't know whether that is an actual event or whether it's just what he imagined would have happened there, um, the places that he walks, not, not realising any of this as a child. How are we doing for time? Um, Hour of the Wolves. I want to read you a poem in which now he um, is definitely, I think, imagining a situation um, in which something is about to happen or has happened. Um, this is the poem Hour of the Wolves, which you've also got on a sheet, and this is the one I want to look at later because it's quite interesting from the point of view of translation. So for the moment, I'll just read it uh, and then read you a couple more and then we'll look at the poem. But this is the one that I want to look at. In fact, I'll read it in both English and German. I'll read it in English first so that if you don't speak German, you kind of know what's going on. Um, I always think if people read the foreign one first and you don't speak the foreign language, then you don't kind of know how to look because you don't, is it a cheer? Well, you know it's not going to be a cheerful poem, don't you? But, you know, is it a cheerful poem? Is it a sad poem? Is it, a, you know, you don't really know. So, um, I prefer to read the English first. I'll read the English, and then I'll read you the, Ger the German, and then I'll read a couple more. Hour of the Wolves. Hour of the Wolves. And the songs of the girls in the village fell still. The, the flight of the dove cut across by the hawk. The swallows transported the light. Voices like calls from away in the darkness. Wind drove snow over the path. And now in German. Stunde der Wölfe. Stunde der Wölfe, die Lieder der Mädchen verstummten im Dorf. Den Flug der Taube kreuzte der Habicht. Fort trugen die Schwalben das Licht. Stimmen wie Rufe, fern aus dem Dunkel. Schnee wehte der Wind auf den Weg. Um, he wanted to facilitate education about the Holocaust, as I've already mentioned. And he was responsible for the creation of an, an educational centre at Auschwitz itself, at the concentra concentration camp, which is now a museum. I don't, has anybody been there? I haven't been there. Yes. But, sorry? You've been there? Right. Well, that, that centre is actually there now. It was, he proposed it in 1971, and it was built in 1986. I don't know if you were there before. You were there before that. Mm. Well, it, since 1986, there's been a centre for young people uh, from different countries to get together at Auschwitz, at the former concentration camp, and meet and be educated about the dangers of fascism, the dangers of prejudice, uh, dangers of war, I suppose, uh, as well. Um, Fontana, uh, as I say, he was uh, somebody, he suggested this, he, he proposed it. It took a long time for it to get built because there were all sorts of problems put in its way. People didn't really want this. Um, I think now there's a lot more understanding of the fact that we do need these centres, but it was quite difficult in the 70s. So it was 1986 before it was built, and he died in 1980, so he didn't uh, see it built, but it was built. Um, one of the things that, that he does in his poetry, I mean, I said a minute ago that you know it's not going to be cheerful poetry, but he, he does play around with words a lot. Somebody said that to me earlier, <laughs> it was, but I think possibly you said it earlier. Well, somebody said no. earlier that, that you know, the, having um, looked at, at a couple of his poems, could see that he played around with words, and, and he does. Um, so some of his poems sound flippant because um, because they they well because they are flippant in a way, uh, but they're also serious. I don't know whether that may, <laughs> makes sense. They're also some of them are very very short. Um, so, you know, you almost have to, you have to listen very carefully, otherwise you miss it. This one is just four lines long. I'll read it in English and then in German, and it's called Epigram. We Germans, hard-working, respectable, that's why other nations love us. Always so good at clearing up. Epigram. Fleißig sind wir und ordentlich. 
Deshalb lieben die anderen Völker uns Deutsche. Überall räumen wir auf. He's got quite a lot um, that do this. Uh, there's another one which is, um, which is kind of similar. He often takes idioms or sayings and, and sort of turns them around slightly. Uh, this one is called final solution, a, a phrase that everybody knows. Uh, also, the, the phrase in the first, uh, first stanza, um, which is, the Jews are our misfortune. This was a saying which was often put on, on banners by the Nazis uh, to indicate that the, 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 the Jews were responsible for everything um, unfortunate that had, that had befallen uh, Germany. Final solution. The Jews are our misfortune. That's what we've always said. Only none of us knew. Endlösung. Die Juden sind unser Unglück. Das haben wir immer gesagt. Das hat keiner gewusst. Um, I'll just read you one more before we look at that uh, poem. Um, a lot of um, his poetry deals with his, with his worries about whether writing poetry is actually a sensible thing to do, given what's happened. And this is, this is a fear that's been shared by everybody, I think, who's ever written about uh, anything catastrophic or even written in the aftermath of catastrophe because it seems like a kind of perhaps slightly inadequate response. So, you know... As I've said, he did spend a lot of his time trying to make reparation, but he also felt the poetry was, was very, very important because it, it caused people to think. Um, at the same time, he always questioned whether poetry was really possible and whether he was really having any effect on anybody, whether they would read it, you know, whether it really mattered. So he thinks a lot about the role of the poet. Um, and this... This poem, which, I, which I'll read as the, as the last poem I'll read, which is, I'll read it just in English. Uh, it's called um, Pogrom. And a, a pogrom, is, pogrom is actually a word which I'm sure people will know. It's originally a Russian word, although it's been taken over uh, into English. And it, it refers to an attack on uh, a group of people or, or one people in general, uh, usually involving a massacre, so where many people are killed. It's usually used of the Jews, of roundups, you know, where Jews are rounded up, often and taken to the marketplace and, and then, um, you know, carted off somewhere. Um, and he also, we saw in one of his earlier poems that he spoke about um, travellers, tinkers, as, as victims of the Nazis. Here he speaks specifically, or he mentions old people. Uh, they were also targeted by the Nazis because when you were old, you were not much use. So uh, a lot of elderly people were taken off to, a co to concentration camps, um, and that was the end of them. So he, he often uh, wonders, you know, will the poet actually... What right does a poet have to live on beyond the victims? So, pogrom. How can I sing? My tongue is dry, a bone. It sticks in my throat. My eyes are splinters of glass. My heart a stone that thuds in my chest. The earth rises from my feet. I dreamt I would move mountains, stop bullets in midair with my hand. I dreamt I would see cities filled with summers and winters. I dreamt of listening by the river for the voices of the forest. Beds stand about like open coffins, silent as stones. Old people sit in the yards. The sky is a thin sheet of metal, riddled with holes, clanging in the wind. Truth is simple, like water and bread. The night is a net, and we humans are dear for the hunter. My skin is thin. A bullet could kill me. I shall go, without taking leave, without a word, with worn-out shoes, holding my hat in my hand, defenceless flesh, ashes in the wind, like all my brothers, forgotten. So that's the final poem I will read. He died, as I said, in 1980 uh, on a lecture tour. Uh, he was still quite young, in his 40s. Uh, he basically worked himself to death. He felt so guilty that he worked whenever he could, um, worked as much as he could, 
and uh, and and he collapsed and had several brain hemorrhages and died. Although there was no apparent reason for this other than overwork. At his funeral, he was uh, people were horrified. He had many friends. They were they were very shocked, of course, by his sudden death. And and they described him as very thin-skinned, um, very vulnerable, very energetic, and and constantly filled with guilt. So that, that's probably uh, you know I mean. I don't know whether you can actually die of guilt, but if you can, he, he probably did. Um, so I thought we could then... Um, I don't know, has anybody got any questions at this point, point that you want to sort of ask about him? Or, or um, shall I just move on to looking... Shall we move on to looking at a poem? Yeah? I mean, if you, want, you, know, if you have any questions at any point, just, just kind of shout out. So... so um, this, the poem that you've got on your sheet. So can everybody see one at least? If you've, you've got one, Peter. I think most people can. I think everybody can see one, yeah. Um, so ignore the front page now. So it's got the, it's got the poem in um, German, Stunde der Wölfe. And it's, you probably see that it's got colours on it. I'm not sure that you can see those, but I'll explain them. Um, so this is one of the poems that I read. You've got the German and you've got the English gloss underneath the German. So that's not a translation, that's just a gloss. It just tells you what the individual words, what, what the kind of nearest equivalent is in English. Of course, one could begin and spend a lot of time talking about a gloss. I'm not going to... <laughs> you know, you could, uh, because what, is, what does it mean to say something's the nearest equivalent? Well, it's just a rough equivalent. Um, and then on the... Last page, you've got the translation as, as it is in the book. Um, and I want to just kind of pick up on a few points and, and try and give you some sense of, well, how I think about translating. One thing I didn't mention, actually, was uh, that I should have mentioned was, was Anthony Vivis, who, if you, um, if you do get hold of the book or if you look at it, it actually says, translated by Jean Bosbier, with Anthony Vivis. This is because Anthony Vivis was a, a friend, a translator from German, a translator mainly of plays but also of poetry, and he and I began to translate Fontana, it's now about 17 years ago, um, translated quite a lot of the poetry and then um, put it on one side because I was editing the series and I couldn't kind of keep you know, putting my own books <laughs> forward. Um, so it got left and then Anthony died uh, a few years ago and I took it up again then and, and revised it and translated a lot more. So that's, that's why, it, uh, why it says that. I can't remember why I started to say that now, but never mind. Um, I think it was just because I suddenly was conscious of the fact that I said how I translated it, whereas, in fact, this one, uh, and this, I did this after Anthony's death, but some of them, it's got uh, Anthony's input into it as well. So, um, if we look at the English, you, well, I mean, I want to pick up on two or three things that I think are important. You might think other things are. Um, probably the first one is the rhythm. Right, so I don't know whether anybody noticed that when I read it, or maybe I read it on rhythmically, but if so, uh, I didn't mean to. Um, yeah, it's got quite a strong rhythm. Did you notice that when I read it? Does anybody have any idea why that might be? Why might you, why might you have a strong rhythm in a poem like this? Well, or maybe we should start differently. What, what do, what do, does anybody have any sense about what it's actually about? I mean, why, you know, we've got, in the English, if you turn to the English... Um, You've got Hour of the Wolves and the Songs of the Girls in the Village Fell Still. Why would the Songs of Girls in a Village Fall Still? What kind of image does this suggest? Does it suggest anything to anybody? Fear. Yeah? Fear yeah? Something coming. Something coming, yeah. 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 So the rhythm actually takes you along with the story within the poem? Yes, it kind of moves it forward, doesn't it? And it, it also, perhaps it's also to some extent a, a slight contrast as well because we often associate very rhythmical poetry with perhaps nursery rhymes or, or some but of course nursery rhymes are not pleasant are they there's often a big bad wolf so it, it, it's maybe quite slightly reminiscent of that um, so I, you know to me the rhythm was very important um, and I tried in the English to get the same rhythm of course it's not always easy because German words are different um, you have often you know Wölfe uh, has two syllables whereas wolves has one syllable, 
right? So it might look the same length, but it's only got one syllable. So if you're putting it into a poem, it's only got one beat to it, as it were, that's possible. Um, that's, um, that's one of the things that's difficult, and that might explain, if you, if you look at the German and then the English, why I have got the and at the end of that line, right? It's partly because that way you can get the Wölfe, you've got the wolves and, right? So that's, I'm not sure that I did it that consciously, but that's one reason why the and is at that point there. Um, actually, there isn't an and in the German, uh, but that's neither here nor there. I mean, it's a question of, is the rhythm important? If it is important, you want to preserve it. Yeah, true. Um, just um, noticing when you're saying that about the end at the end, yeah. I notice that you've kept the visual shape. Yes. His poem, more or less. Yes. Easily. Yes. You thought that was important. I did. Yes. Yes. I thought that the shape of it was important, and the short lines, and the and the the kind of overall shape of it seemed to me important. Um, and it seemed to me important that you that when you read it out, it also sounds the same rhythmically so even if on the page sometimes the line might be a little bit longer or whatever it's still going to sound the same when you read it out because you know you've, you've always got to think about how what what happens when you read it because poetry is meant to be read aloud so you know if you try to keep it really short and you had hour of the wolves the songs of the girls you know you'd kind of be it wouldn't have the right rhythm <laughs> um so yeah the the rhythm the shape um it's also a question of word order. Now, if you do speak German, you'll probably see this immediately, but if you don't, it's... Um, I shall try and explain... How many people do have any German? One or two? Yeah. Well, uh, yeah, I mean, it doesn't... You don't, you don't need to have, because that's what you've got the gloss for. But um, there is a strange thing about word order. In the second stanza, I know it's quite difficult to see when you've got a gloss and it's all kind of spaced out, but in the second stanza you've got den, <coughs> den Flug der Taube kreuzte der Habicht, which is the flight of the dove crossed the hawk. Of course it means the hawk crossed the flight of the dove, right? <coughs> so it's the wrong way round. Um, so it, it actually does say the flight of the dove crossed the hawk, not was crossed by the hawk, but the flight of the dove is the object, right, crossed the hawk. The hawk is the subject, okay. Um, German word order is very free. <coughs> English word order is fixed. And there's a reason for that. German has what we call very rich morphology. You see what's the subject and the object, so it doesn't matter where you put them. In English, you, <laughs> you, you can't. Um, I thought it was me that was going to start coughing and then to come out. So, so, I didn't mean to laugh, Chloe, sorry, but glad it's not me. Um, yeah, so it... It's, it's kind of the wrong way round, right? Um, but, of course, you can't do that in English. You can't, in English, say, the flight of the dove crossed the hawk. Yeah? So, um, what did I do? Yeah, the flight of the dove cut across by the hawk. Um, actually, I haven't got a main verb. It would be is cut across, wouldn't it, if there were? So I've done it like that. Um, because, you, well, I mean, I suppose... Really, I could ask you that as a question. Why would I want to keep the same word order? I mean, you, you know, you said something about the shape, but why, why try and keep the same word order? Is it, is it significant? He's, he's bringing the dove is the, again, is the, um, like, some of the girls is happy. Is it, it, and, then, and then you get the sharp word, the hot hawk. So if it had been the other way around, it wouldn't be as abrupt. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. So mm -hmm. it's important that you've got the dove. I mean, we all understand the kind of imagery of doves and hawks, right, because it's used in, in discussing war and, you know, doves are peaceable, birds and hawks are the opposite. So it's actually the dove is first, but it's, but it's cut off in some way by the hawk, pretty much in the same way that the songs of the girls suddenly fall still. So there is a sense of things starting but then being cut off. And if you, if you change that order, um, then you're going to lose it. Somehow the poem is not going to have the right sort of progression. You know, it's going to go one way first and then suddenly the other way. don't know whether that makes sense. Uh, I did 
draw a diagram to illustrate this once when I talked about it, but I thought, no, I'm not going to draw the diagram along with all the hours on it. But it's almost as though things are happening and then getting cut off. Um, so it seems quite important to have it that way round, but of course you have to you have to turn the English round a bit. And it happens again um, a bit further down the, it, where it says, um, Fort trugen die Schwaben das Licht. Away carried the swallows the light. Normally you'd say the swallows carried the light away, even in German. Uh, die Schwalben trugen das Licht fort. But it, you've got the away first, so it puts more emphasis on the away, doesn't it? Right. Um, so yes, yes, go ahead. It sounds like you're trying to be true to the visual picture, so you're acknowledging the poem as a sort of landscape or a painting. Yes. So, and it's getting those images in the right sequence. A- absolutely. I mean, that is absolutely right, because I think, you know, there are very different types of poetry, and some poetry is not very visual. But I think this poetry is very visual, isn't it? We can kind of, even though it's about sounds partly, we can imagine a village in the evening and we can imagine that it's getting dark and, and we can imagine the voice has suddenly cut, cut off. It's, it's, we, can, we can really kind of visualise it. And so it did seem to me that the visual, that the image you get was really important and the image follows a certain sequence. And many poem, poems have a clear argument and progression, which is, which is not an argument in the quite the way you'd have an argument, say, in, a, in an academic essay, but, it, but it, it's an argument in the way you might have a progression in a, in a painting or in, a, you know, in, say, a film. There is a definite progression. Something happens and then something else happens. You don't kind of want to go backwards and forwards. I get the impression that this is the image he wanted to display, the, the hour of the wolves, basically. Everything was nice up until then. Yes. And then the whole, whole world and its happy parts the songs of the girls, yes. the dove, the swallows, the voices, etc. are just chopped off. It's just cut off, isn't it? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes, I, I think it, it is a very, it's a very strong image. Is that a reflection of his view? Because you talk very, very much about him as a child. Yes. Not understanding. Is this a reflection of his hour of the wolf, of realising what he had perceived as his life and then suddenly the hour of the wolf is actually all the nice things you thought you'd got you you have to revisit them yeah well yes i mean i do think that i think that's that's a very interesting way of looking at it and i don't think i've looked at it quite that way one of the things that did strike me and that would tie in with what you've just said is that towards the end of the poem it says um Voices like calls from away in the darkness, which kind of suggest people are crying for help. Um, wind drove snow over the path, you can't go back. So there's a kind of helplessness, you know, because you feel there are these voices calling to me. Are they the girls in the village, maybe? We don't know. But you can't actually go there. The path has been removed. So it does suggest that he can't revisit his childhood memories which would tie in exactly with what you've just said, you know, that maybe the hour of the wolves was, was the point for him. I mean, it's also, I don't know if you know the expression, um, those of you who know French, entre chien et loup, between dog and wolf. It's a twilight hour when dogs become wolves. So it's between the dog and the wolf. It means, it means twilight, right? So, you know, there's, there's, a, there's clearly a sense of that here, that the... That, that, night brings something unpleasant. The light goes and, you know, people change. Um, Isn't it the imagery of the war that you've told us about and the oppression or the, or the extermination of yes. innocence? The extermination of innocence, yeah, I mean, this is what, what war does, uh, absolutely, yeah, I mean, it physically, because the people who were killed were not, you know, these were not not even civilian casualties or whatever the terminology is. These were people who, who had nothing whatever to do with anything. They just happened to be there. Um, so, yes, I mean, there is a sense of loss of innocence and a sense of his own loss of innocence. So it's a very visual thing, isn't it? And I think, you know, you, you kind of want to... Well, I felt I wanted to keep that. Um, yes, why what? did you um, put Fell still rather than by Fell silent? 
Yeah, well, uh, anybody got any idea? Yeah, yeah, look at the colours on it. <laughs> there's a reason why these are in colour. Um, though I know they're quite hard to see, and there's a reason why something's un- underlined. Um, if you, one of the things I haven't said much about is the, is the actual poetics. So we've talked about the shape and the progression, but poetry works by picking up sounds as well as images, doesn't it? So the, in the original, you've got the various animals. Um, sorry, I'm swapping backwards and forwards, but I, I couldn't get it all on one page. In the German original, you've got the various animals, and they're in red. So you've got the wolves, um, the dove, the hawk and the swallows um, so that's obviously not the sound but you've also got things which are connected by sound so you've got stund and these are the ones that on the uh, German are actually in blue so you've got stunde um, for stumpten which you, <laughs> you can't really see and stimmen that all have the same sound but you've also got um, you've also got schwalben and schnee um, and then at the end, you've got the alliteration of Vita de Wind up in Vig. Right, can you see that? That's, that's in green. Um, you've also got the sound of Vita and Vig, which is the same sound. You've also got the fact that for Stumpen, which is in purple, I think it's supposed to be purple, um, and Stimmen, right, which is the word at the top of the stanza on the, in the second column, uh, are related, right? So for Stumpen is to fall silent, stimmen are voices, but it's actually related by etymology in German. <clears throat> Stumm und Stimme is, is related. Uh, Stumm is actually dumb, to be voiceless, and Stimme is voice uh, in, in German, right? So there's these, all these connections in terms of sound. Now, in the English, of course, when it, with, with any poem, you want to get poetic elements in it because it's important to tie the thing up, not just to have it follow the right progression, but to, but to have connections uh, of sound. And this is one of the reasons that I got, that I put fell still, because it picks up village and fell, right, and calls, um, because you can't do it exactly the way the German does it. You can't get alliteration where the German gets alliteration. So you, you, you need to do it where you do it. And if you put where you can do it, if you put fell silent, it would have too many syllables, Right, because uh, you, you don't want that many syllables um, for Stumpen im Dorf. So that final line is im Dorf, two syllables. So fell still, fell still is two syllables, but it also picks up village. And as I say later, the word <coughs> calls. Um, also, there is some, a little bit of rhyme in the English. So the second stanza has the flight the dove cut across by the hawk, the swallows transported the light. Flight and light actually mm. rhyme, but it's fairly unobtrusive because in the German there is no actual end rhyme. Uh, it's alliteration, it's repeated sounds, so you don't want kind of intrusive rhyme. That would be, that would be odd. Um, so there is, there is some internal uh, rhyme as well. May I ask? Yeah, go um, ahead. Yeah. In the second verse... Uh, you've used the word transported <laughs> yeah. uh, rather than carried away. Yeah. What, what, what were your... I mean, obviously, it, it, it gives rise to the, you know, the notion of transportation and everyone, but, you know, was that... Is carried away the literal translation of Fort Truven and is transported your decision to put that... Put that in like, instead of putting yeah, carried away. A, a word that really sticks out. Yes. For me in that, in that yes. Thing. Yes. It is. Um, that, because you could have put. Well, I mean, firstly, there's the rhythm because you could have put swallows carried the light away, but you'd you'd have too many syllables. Yeah. So you need a need a word um, that that will do it. Mm. But also, um, how shall I put this? The context of the poem for a German reader is very obvious. For an English reader, it's always going to be less obvious because because most English readers are reading it in England, you know, where the the kind of sense of villages destroyed by um, by the Nazis or the, the the local supporters of the Nazis, um, which is what this suggests, that 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 is not part of our history, so it's not really something people are aware of. So in a sense, you have to be always more explicit in the English poem, 
because the links that are so obviously there in the German will be missing. So, for example, in the German, if you read the word wolves, you don't only think of, you know, fairy stories and the big bad wolf and all that, but you think of the Nazis because the Nazis called themselves wolves. Hitler called his dog wolf. Um, he maintained that his name meant wolf, right? He said that Adolf meant edel, uh, noble wolf because he believed that wolves were noble and he should be like a wolf. Um, <coughs> and they, called, they had, you know, a thing called Operation Werewolf, uh, which was a, a kind of, meant to be kind of resistance. And they, they often spoke of themselves as wolves. Now, there is a long tradition of this in the mythology of many different uh, countries. It's in Japan, for example, and in, in lots of places. Wolves are seen as warriors. But the Nazis picked up on this because they liked the idea of the mythology of wolves. Right. So wolves automatically suggest Nazis to most German readers, but it wouldn't do to English readers. So you kind of have to put something else in, um, which will give the links to the German history, possibly, um, in, a w in a way which, which will still work in the poem. Does, does, do you see what I mean? There must be a very fine line. Yeah. There is. Yeah, I mean, oh, yeah. You, know, you could tip the balance. You could go too far, couldn't you? You yeah. could put. Yeah, you could. And yeah. I, and you, so you think about it every time. But I think what partly what swayed me you know, there was also the rhythm. People know and don't know. You got well. You never can. And I mean, the original, the original poet also doesn't know what people will know. And, and of course, he didn't know what people in the future would know. So he knew mm. what people knew then, but he didn't know what people down the line would know. Um, and and what you want to do when you translate a poem is to within the poem, creates something of the context for people so that they see what the original poet was referring to or what you, the translator, think the original poet was referring to. I mean, you don't know. Uh, you can't ask him. <clears throat> so um, that, was, that was the reason. Those were the various reasons I did that. I mean, the, how are we doing for time? Um, yeah, I mean, it's just a couple of other things. But, yeah, there's another thing that actually relates to that point. Po uh, point. And that is um, that in the German... In, front of in the German, um, the word, yeah, the, there are certain words in here which very clearly link to a whole lot of writing about the Holocaust. So the word dunkel, dark, darkness or dark, um, is used in many, many poems about the Holocaust, and it's used about the time. It's, it's often spoken of as the dark time, uh, as, as other times of, of catastrophe and, and so on are. But it, it's particularly resonant for a German reader. Um, and so is snow, because snow crops up in many, many novels and accounts and po poems about the Holocaust. So those things would also be clear indicators, certainly at the time Fontana was writing, that he was actually suggesting the Holocaust here and not something that might have happened later. Yeah. So that's another reason why, you, why I think one wants them. Um, there's also the, the question of certain words which are ambiguous. Um, one of them in particular is calls. It's, in German it's rufe, so stimmen wie rufe. Now that could mean, um, in German, people calling out for help. right? But then why would voices be like calls? You know, it, it's it's slightly odd because the voice, in a way, if it's calling, is a call. Um, so why voices like calls? I mean, I think this is partly because it ties it in with the birds, because ein Ruf in German is also what a bird does, as in English. So a bird, uh, you know, the sound a bird makes is a call. It's, it's not a cry or, a, you know, anything which would do for Ruf in, when you're translating into English, you might have a cry or a shout, that would also be a possible translation. If you look up the word ruf in a dictionary, you find cry, shout, call, and various things like that. And the decision to put call was partly because birds call, so it ties it in, but also, I think, partly because of the sense of maybe people uh, calling out for help, uh, but also simply because it was possible to tie it in with fell still. So it's partly, a, it's partly a, to do with sound and partly to do with what it suggests. Does, does that make sense to people? Um, and, and, um, distance. 
A distance, it's yes. Yes, it does, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so it's at a distance, and you can't... It, it's, which, again, it suggests this idea of childhood, doesn't it? Something that's a long way away, that you, the memory that you can't quite get back to. And it, it also suggests that it's trying to attract your attention, you know, because a call is something that, that tries to... Um, it tries to address somebody, you know, it's not just a sound. Um, so th those are, I think, the main points. Points. I mean, I've spoken about the sounds, I've spoken about the images, um, and the repetitions of categories of words. So I suppose what I would say overall is that you... The, what, yeah, what's really important? Well, the, obviously the, the elements of the poem, so the, the kind of that you have repetition and alliteration if the original has. That's obviously important because otherwise it will just look like a piece of writing and not like a poem. Um, but also this sense of the visual, if it's that sort of a poem, the sense of progression, I think it's really important not to break those things up. Um, the sense of the swallows taking the light away and the girls' voices being cut off and the snow cutting off the path. I think those are such strong images that it would be very uh, wrong to lose those. You'd somehow lose the sense of the poem. So, in other words, the, the, um, you have to kind of look at the poem in its own right and say, what's going on here? Well, when I read this poem in German, I thought, well, there's all these sideways movements. You know, there's the swallows doing this, and there's the, something cutting the voices off, and there's the snow coming across the path. That's what this poem is about. What does that mean? And then started to think, you know, this was the thing that, that drove it. Um, for me. And I think unless you can find out what drives it, you're going to end up with something which is a translation, but not a poem. Yeah? So that, that's what I'd say about it. Um, has anybody got... That's really all I want to say. Have you got any more... Any comments or questions? Or? Could, could I just ask, when did he write it? When did he write it? There isn't a date for it, but it, it probably uh, would have been... It's in one of the. It's one. I'm just trying to think of its position in the in the original book. It's one of the later ones. So it would have probably been in the in the seventies. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, he was only in his mid forties when he died. So he would have been in his in his uh, early forties, thirties or forties when he wrote it. Yeah. Um, in the third stanza, the. Um Asking Dunkel Schnee that line. Oh, yeah. I'm interested in that because the quite this, I kept thinking about Salam. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Whom I've also translated. Oh, right. <laughs> yeah. Um, and it made me, it reminded me of his um, referring to Black Snow. Yes, yes, and absolutely, I yeah. I just wondered whether, because in the literal English, you've got out of the dark snow, which sort of comes together just through that kind of... Dark and snow, yeah. yeah. But does Dunkel have a... Um, is that an adjective as well? Or is it close to an adjective? Well, it, it's a noun here. Uh, yes, but it, know, but yeah, it, could, it, it certainly is. It, it could be an adjective. It is used as an adjective, yes, if it was it written with a small d. Dark is in English. Yes, yes. Uh, and I mean, you could... You could that, that's actually a, a, another decision that one has to take, you know, because you could say, um, out of the, what about it, I translate it, yeah, you could say, <laughs> from away in the dark, or out of the dark, um, and I decided to put darkness, because I think when we talk about the Holocaust or other such events, we talk about the darkness rather than the dark, don't we, yeah, so there is, there is a book about the, uh, about the person who ran Auschwitz, uh, which was written by Gitta Sereny, who interviewed him, uh, a journalist who interviewed him, and it's called Into That Darkness, not Into That Dark, right? So I think this was, this was the kind of thing I was thinking about, you know, should you have dark or darkness? And I, in most cases, um, in this poem and in others, I went for darkness simply because it, it's what we would, we would tend to say. It's got a more uh, abstract title because you can say dark, I mean, you yes, can mean you can. dark, out of the dark over the snow, the fireballs. Yes, you dark. could. That's, yes, that's yes. physical dark. Yes, yes. Darkness suggests mm. something morally yeah. dark, doesn't it, as well? Yes, mm. yes, it does, yeah. yeah. You didn't mention the last word, in vague. 
Yeah. On the road, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes, the people on the road. And also the... Yes, it is. Um, I mean, it, it, you know, you, what, does it, what does the image of snow going, being blown across the path, what does it suggest? I mean, there's this idea that you can't go back there and you can't go and help those people there, but there's also the image, of course, of, of the difficulty of people getting out, isn't yeah. there? Yeah. All the ways lost and invisible. The way yes. the ways become invisible. Mm. Yeah. What, what I find interesting with translation like that, where it's actually like on the second page, it's just there as it is. You suddenly get thrown up sort of images that are quite extraordinary, like snow drifted the wind onto the way. Yeah. Mm. Now you know you can't have snow drifting wind, yeah. but suddenly you've got this. Yes, because of the gloss. Image. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. I, I like that. Yeah. It, just, it actually for a moment, you know. Mm short circuits you yes it does it gives you a kind of shock doesn't it yeah 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 Yeah. that kind of lovely extraordinariness that there is in poetry comes out sometimes in In the in the gloss translation well it does it does and in fact um there is one of one of the sort of early critics translation writer benjamin did who was who was a a friend of brecht actually uh, did say that the (laughs) The best sort of translation is not actually a translation, it's just simply a gloss, because it kind of gives you an insight into what the words are actually doing in the order in which they are, um, which, which is true, isn't it? Because you've got, you know, like, like you said before, where you've got Dunkel and Schnee together, and you've got, um, you know, Vita der Wind, and you, you kind of, when you think what that is in English, then you, you, you sort of turn the image round. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, there's an awful lot. I mean, I used to do a whole two-hour session on glosses with my students, believe it or not. And it was not boring. You might think it was boring, but it was, I'm sure it wasn't. The students didn't think so. Because there's so much you can say about what a gloss actually is and whether it's a translation and what it does to your mind to see these words suddenly presented as English words when they're in the order that the German was in. It, it, it kind of gives you an insight into the German that you probably never have with, a, with another poem. In English, yeah. and the skill is to change it from the awkwardness into the translated poem. Something that sounds like a poem, one yes. hopes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because um, a friend of mine translated works by Masha Kaleko, and I then found another book by a different translator. And they would be completely and, different. And, and yeah. I looked at these and thought, actually, I've got a book of poetry here and a book of translations here. Ah, right, which yeah. I found taking your point about seeing the words. Well, I don't, don't do, I don't speak German. I can't read German. But actually, to see how he had put it into a poem and the other man had translated it, you could see where the poem had come from. You could see what what the poem was doing. Yeah, yes. yeah, yeah, yeah. And it, I mean, it is often really interesting to compare different translations of the same poem yes. because you'd expect them to be different because. You know, if a poem only has one possible translation, it can't be a poem, can it? Because the whole point of a poem yeah. is that it has different readings yeah. and will mean something different to every person, yeah? So it's going to have lots of different translations. Well, presumably even one person's gloss would be different to another. It would, it would. choices all the time. There, there, there are choices all the time. I mean, you know, do you put... I mean, I put here in the gloss, out of the dark, but I could have put darkness there. Yeah. yeah? And actually, I didn't because partly because I wanted to be as close as possible to the. the I hope the cat's not actually locked it's in the shop, actually. is it? No, it isn't. <laughs> bothering me. <laughs> Somewhere. <laughs> it's not. Okay. Um, it wants it to me. <laughs> Very strange. <laughs> it's very weird. <laughs> yeah, but it, you know, you can, you, you sort of also you're constrained by space because dark is obviously short. You know, but 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 then then if you put darkness there, you've kind of preempted what you want to do in the poem. So it's almost better to be as simple as possible, I think, in the in the gloss and try not to try not to suggest too many images to people, but just to let them see the German. I mean, the point of the gloss is to let people see the German rather than, than kind of getting caught up in the English. I think it's it's really interesting though the, the idea that you were saying about you know how you can actually see things differently if you see it yeah. And yeah. it would be great if um, if people published both the gloss yes. and the translation <laughs> so yes. you, you know you could enjoy it. 
Yes, so you could have you could have the original with a gloss, and then the yeah, you make the books a bit thick. That's <laughs> 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 I mean, there's something that, that just when I said earlier about using the word transported and carried away, I mean, looking at the gloss with carried away, to me gives that kind of fairy tale um, feel of girls being carried away mm. villages by wolves in the night. You know, this this kind. Of, it's a, it's a fairy tale. They're fairy tale words. Yes. Carried away. Transported yeah. isn't. That is not no. Although it means it actually means the same. I mean, it it. I suppose it depends. I mean. It it actually means transported. Actually means carried across. If you go back to the Latin, but it. I mean, it, it depends what language you say. I mean, I suppose in English, yeah, it transported. Or, partly, it's just the word that we use for, you know, to. I don't know. What do we say? Where do we use transport? Lorries and, and things, <laughs> don't we? Yeah, transport things. You can be transported by emotions. Yes, yes. And then, of course, we think of the transport of the transportations of, of yeah. people. Yeah, yeah. But this is also associated with the distinction in English between Germanic vocabulary yes. and Latin based vocabulary yeah. or French vocabulary. Yeah. And most of the, the gloss here is Germanic language, Germanic words, isn't it? It is, yeah. yeah. Yes, but then when we come to, I mean, certainly. When you get to the translation, it changes. You have to remember that very often you can use Latin based words and you don't necessarily just stick. Stick to the gloss. Yes, that's true, because when you, if you try to keep as close as possible the closest equivalent, it's going to be Germanic, yeah. because English yeah. is Germanic language. Yeah. So that's what you're going to end yeah. up with is something that, that is very close uh, yeah. and is very Germanic, yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it, 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 time we stopped, isn't it? Has anybody got any last kind of comments or things they want to. It's fascinating how everyone responds yeah. in different ways. I'm actually hearing this as the sound of a, a Bruegel picture. Oh, yeah. Bruegel leaks out of every line. Yes, I can see exactly what you mean. Yeah, I can see exactly what you mean. Yeah. You can do without. You, you've interpreted. As, as part as the war, the war, you know, mm. this is war against. But for, for me, it can be com something completely it could be something completely different. different. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it yeah. could. Yeah, yeah. So really interesting. Yeah, yeah, it could. It's also a, a little discouraging for some because you said if you're not careful, you get a translation, but not a poem. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yes, but then what's the poem? You know, there are lots of different opinions about that, aren't there? Has anyone else ever translated him? Um, there are one or two translations in a book called Afterbericht. Uh, there's, there's, um, there are one or two translations of, of a couple of his poems. Yeah. But uh, about three, I think that's all. So you've, you've, you've not compared a, a translation of yours with a... No, I, I think... to do that. Oh, yeah, I've done it with other. I mean, Paul Celan, uh, I have translated a lot of Celan, and uh, my translations are very different from the other ones. And I sometimes do a workshop with, I have done with the students, where we look at three different translations and say, what did this translator, you know, what do you, the class, think this translator thought they were doing? Mm. And it's very interesting because, of course, I could say what I thought I was doing, but the other people can't, you know, so that you can second-guess the translator and yes. say, well, I think the translator was coming from there. And this is a very interesting exercise because what we do with authors all the time, you know, we, think, we say, I think the author meant this. But you can actually say what you think the translator, where you think the translator was coming from. Um, but, that, but that applies when you're not translating a poem if you're reading it in English. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> you you say, yeah. yeah. Same, uh, where was the poet coming from with this? Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. It could be from the opposite direction that he, if you ask yeah. him to his face. Yeah, which is why I would never ask a poet, what did you mean by this? Because for a start, they probably wouldn't tell me. And, uh, and in any case, why would they want to know? You know, you could, you could do. I mean, some people do translations then, and then ask the original poet. You know, and I, I often make the joke that I only translate people who are dead so they can't interfere. <laughs> it's not actually true. I mean, <laughs> yeah, but you, you know, you wouldn't... I mean, I would never go to the original poet and say, what did you mean and what do you think of this translation? Because I'm not... I mean, it, what's interesting is what the translator thinks they meant. It's, it's how you read it. You know, it's my take on it. It's not... Somebody else's will be different. You, you mentioned that he sort of 
was not popular after, shortly after, well, after he died, he sort of sank to the view. He was popular for a time in the, in the 80s and 90s, but I don't think he is now. He was read at schools a lot. He was popular right. with, with I, school. I'm just going to ask that question. Is, yeah. is to, was, he, was he before his time, if you will, for the way he, he's making the points he's making, certainly in this yeah. particular poem you've talked about? Was yeah. He, was he speaking an inconvenient truth, I suppose, is what I'm saying. Oh, yeah, I think he was. I think, I think very much so, yeah. I mean, we went um, back to Kredlinborg, where he was born, in, what year was it? Beginning of 2000. Yeah, maybe 2001 or two. yeah, we went back there. Nobody in Kredlinborg had heard of him. I mean, this was amazing to me. Uh, you know, he's a major poet. He's in the... the uh, big book of German poetry, which is a which is a big book, it was published in the seventies with the really major poets in Germany. He's in there. He's got quite a lot of poems in there. They'd never even heard of him in his birthplace. And you think, why? You know, I mean, he didn't live there all his life. He, he lived there for you know until he went to um, university, went to school there. But you know, the, why have they never heard of him? Why do they not make anything of him? It's very strange. Mm -hmm. You know, and you wonder whether that was conscious. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we, we asked in the library. Yeah, yes, we did. Then they misheard it and understood it as Fontana. Who was a different oh. poet. Yeah, they did. Yeah, they didn't even know who the poet was. Yeah. No. Was it in the, uh, former East Germany? Yeah. yeah. It was. It had Is been, yes. Anything to do with it? Yeah. Because he would be, you know, in the same... Yes, I think he was, he was speaking out of turn. Uh, and people didn't really want, you know, in, in East Germany, they, they didn't want to... Uh, accept that uh, everybody had been involved you know this was kind of the thing this was fascism this was this was ba bad because it was fascism but it wasn't people's everyday lives that were that were somehow tied up with it they didn't want to know that what happened to his parents um his mother lived for quite a long time his his father was killed in the war so he his father never came back from the war, uh, and his father was in the SS and was was but fell in the war. Um, his mother lived on for quite a while. He's he's, he's uh, he he married and he's got uh, several children. And in fact, there is somebody in London called Fontana who works at a hospital. So I I sent her a message on Facebook and said, "Are you related to Volker Fontana?" And she said, "Yes, distant, distantly, but I don't know his poetry." <laughs> so his mother would have read his poems. Yeah, probably, yeah. Mm. I mean, I spoke to somebody on the phone a while back who used to work with him and said that he would, when he was working for the Aktion um, and the, the reparations organisation, he would sort of disappear and go into an office at the back and write a poem. So people, people were certainly aware he was writing poems at the time.